0: I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, Small Business Advanced Tax Planning and Compliance Extraordinaire, and this is the Abundant Means Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today we'd like to welcome to the podcast Chad Peterson. Chad is an expert business broker and the founder of Peterson Acquisitions, an award winning M and A firm. Chad's firm handles transactions in one million to the twenty five million range, with some deals exceeding twenty five million. Wow! He works with businesses all over the United States and has completed international deals as well. Peterson Acquisitions was recently named um, by one publication as the number one ranked business broker in the United States. That's really awesome which uh which publication was that I don't know if that's, that's
1: uh, a couple of them but i think that specific one was blogger local
0: okay chad has bought and um sold six of his own businesses and also has a couple books and we'll oh, yeah. uh we'll drop those in the description box for us so it's from blue to white a working man's guide to self-employment and also, swinging doors: A Guide to Selling Your Company. Oh, you also have a podcast. I actually didn't know that. And is the host of the Business Brokers Podcast: Buying, Selling, and Growing Businesses. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having yeah, me. Absolutely. Um, so, first question is always the same. Uh, what was your first job?
1: My first job. When? Just when.
0: First, 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 first thing you ever got paid for.
1: Oh man, picking up dog shit. <laughs> I love it. I mean, if we're going to be honest, that's what it was.
0: it was awesome. And so it was like entrepreneurial, like around that.
1: No, no, well, yeah, it was. And, you know, Basically, my mom and her boyfriend told me to go out there and do that and get paid. And then I was like, wait a minute, I can do this for other people. And I didn't care what it was. I just went out and did it. It's and, so- uh, I was a little entrepreneur when I was a kid. And, you know, I was shoveling snow and picking weeds and mowing grass and, picking up crab apples. I mean, whatever I could do. I mean, it was just like, Hey, you got a dollar and you want me to do something. And if I do it, then I get your dollar. I mean, it just made sense to me. And so I I was born that way or something. I don't know how it happened. It was like genetic or something. You know, It's,
0: it's funny because most bus- business owners we talk to, it's something like that. Like, Oh, I was mowing lawns or like, it was very entrepreneurial or it was like, Oh, I did lemonade stands. Like they, they have this, that, that it's like, Oh, work for money. Like, I want money. I need to work. And like, it's just really interesting how that it usually translates into business ownership.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sure. And you know what, not only that, but, but I, you know, I I would get a fundraiser at school, you know, they they would do a fundraiser and you had to go knock on doors Mm -hmm. and sell whatever thing that nobody would want to buy anyway. Mm -hmm. And it just taught me to knock on doors. So not only was I, entrepreneurial, but then the school would do a fundraiser and the whole thing was go knock on your neighbor's doors and I would just wear people out. I'd knock on doors until nine o'clock at night. You know, <laughs> I was just relentless and that relentlessness <laughs> that I have uh, has just never gone away. And so that's how that's how I've been able to squeeze a hundred years of life inside of uh, 41. That's
0: and awesome.
1: uh, yeah, it's as like- an entrepreneur, it served me to have that thing you were just talking about.
0: Yeah, it's, it's the grit. It's the grit, grit. It yeah. Is. My daughter, my daughter has that grit. We're always like, oh my gosh, she like she gets an idea and she just does not like let it go and like, absolutely. Like I'm doing the thing and whatever, and I just keep looking at my husband. I'm like, I know this is like exhausting right now for us, but that's just like it's gonna serve her well someday.
1: Yeah, um, that's very that's very wise of you. And while we're on that subject, you know, even though we didn't mean to stumble on that subject. <laughs> Let me tell you, my mother uh, apologizes still to me today because, you know, she didn't understand that. She didn't recognize mm-hmm. it. And yeah. I was such a pain in the ass. I just <laughs> wouldn't, I wouldn't let anything go. And once it was in my head, that's what mm-hmm. it was.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I would just wear people out. And so it's wise of you and your husband to recognize that in her yeah. and to foster it rather than to fight it.
0: It's yeah. Important. Yeah. I'm mean, always just like, we can't squash it. We can't. Squash it <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, she she's also my mini me. So I see a lot of like of my traits in her um, that I just know I have now. Like I didn't sure. know I had them then, right? But I do know that I have them now. And so it's just like, okay, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always like asking my mom. I'm like, did I do that thing? And she's like, um, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Self awareness <laughs> just keeps opening up, doesn't
0: it? I know, yeah. especially as I'm like raising myself.
1: Right, right. God's <laughs> so like, yeah.
0: oh. So, tell us a little bit about your background as a business owner.
1: Well, I uh, very entrepreneurial as a kid, and I, um, I I hated school. I absolutely hated it. So, whenever I was in my teenage years, I built a real company. You know, it wasn't just like I was a teenager trying to make a few bucks. Not, i I built a real company doing lawn landscaping, mm-hmm. trucks, trailers, mowers, the whole thing. You know, making real money. You know, I was making more than my teachers and. Uh, I got on the work program. Um, I considered dropping out of school mm-hmm. because I just hated it. But I had such a uh, such a strong network of friends. I think that's why I stayed in it, just because I thought, well, what the hell? I guess I'll just finish it up. But by the time I was 16, I was so over school, I was tapping my foot. I, they just, I mean, the, the public school just fails entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. I think, is a general rule. I mean, mm-hmm. I think school – it would be unfair to say that school isn't – you know, worth its weight in some capacity, but, um, not for everybody. And it certainly wasn't for me. So I built that company. I, I got on the work program. That was the only alternative. So I basically, I had, I just had to do my mandatory classes and then I'd leave and go work. I had my own company and just did really well with it. Ended up uh, selling that company, uh, when I was 19, Uh, somewhere between 18 and 19 after I got out of school and, uh, put a little money in my pocket and, uh, I went on to flight school is I wanted to be a pilot. If I wasn't going to be self-employed, I was going to be a pilot. And I started flying planes, became a commercial pilot, lost my job in 9-11 and had a baby on the way. And it was now, what am I going to do? So I, you know, I had to go back to, okay, self-employed roots. What am I going to do? And um, at that time, back then in 2000 and, two, well, nine eleven was an 01, but I was officially in the job market or the self-employed market in 02. And I asked a friend what was happening, you know, cause I've been flying planes. I don't know what's going on out there. And he told me about mortgages and I'm like, well, what the hell is a mortgage? What, what, uh, what do you mean you sell mortgages? That doesn't make any sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did not know anything about it. And he said, well, come over to my office and I'll show you. So he taught me and I thought, man, this was easy. And that was back when our rates were, they dropped down like 6.75 maybe,
0: which, which is, that,
1: yeah. for <laughs> right now that's really, high. Yeah, it
0: seems really yeah. high right now.
1: <laughs> right. The rates had dropped and so it you know—it opened up a market. So long story short, I ended up uh, realizing that I could do it on my own. I went and borrowed $60,000 from a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine. And he wrote me a check for $60,000 to get started and uh, that was just licensing and lease deposit and you know copiers and whatever just basically just to get started and i started with a one man shop it was me and me only i built it to 120 employees wow. and we were doing anywhere from 7 million to 10 million dollars a year in revenue um i had a hell of a marketing engine uh, it was in, it was inside my operation we did, we did marketing through mail so it was just, we had uh, folder inserter machines and I could buy data and I could just send out mail. It was just a weapon. And so mm-hmm. I had inbound calls coming in. I had 120 loan officers that were trained to uh, sell the bank's products. Mm-hmm. And I was doing really well. I, uh, specific to some of my mistakes that I made was. I have,
0: that's my next question, so go ahead. Yeah, the
1: mistakes <laughs> that I made was I was always focusing on marketing and always focusing on doing deals. Mm-hmm. And um, what I wasn't focusing on, because it's just not in my wheelhouse, especially wasn't then, was mm-hmm. accounting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and you know what, I had an accountant, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to slam her, which I won't mention her name, but she just we all different. She just wasn't. I couldn't get a hold of her. If I contacted her today, I couldn't. I'd hear from her three months later. Yeah. So here I am, spending all this money. I mean, I was spending a lot. I was spending $150,000 a month of postage. Whoa! That's how much I was spending in marketing. And that's just my stamps alone. And um, so I wanted to know where I was at. I needed mm-hmm. an accountant to tell me how I was doing as far as my revenues, my margins, mm-hmm. where I should be on marketing. And I just, I, the accounting was a black hole. Mm-hmm. So I was doing really well. I mean, I was making more money than what I could count really. But then again, I didn't have an accountant that I was counting.
0: Right. I think, um, and I tell entrepreneurs this all the time, like for some reason we think that entrepreneurs should know how to do accounting Right. or like their wives should, which continues to baffle me. But I always tell people you're, that's not something that you know how to do. Why would you just, cause you have a business, know how to do that. Right. It's a black hole for a lot of entrepreneurs.
1: It is, it is. And it was for me certainly. And mm-hmm. I, I just, um, I wish I would have had that piece, but what really happened was that 08 came, and we were Mm. the ones selling all the subprime mortgages, and we just got crushed, got absolutely crushed in that market, so I had 120 employees, went down to about 10 after 08 happened, and I had five leases, and I had about, I don't know, $150,000 a month, it was hard cost, and the, the water spigot shut off. Oh, wow. Yeah, So I got crushed in 01 because I was flying a plane in in 9 11 and I lost my career as a pilot in 9 11. Mm -hmm. And then I got crushed in 08 uh, after I had built a multi million dollar corporation. What I really learned though in 08 was when you're doing well is the time to sell. Mm -hmm. I was contacted in 2005 when I was just killing it. And they wanted to buy my business and I asked, I, I asked them why in the hell would I sell my business? I'm making so much money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, in know eight, I was broke. <laughs>
0: that could have been their crash.
1: <laughs> it could have been their crash or, or more importantly, it could have been a bank that bought me that could monetize their own clients. And so my, my employees could have been human assets
0: mm-hmm.
1: where, um, you know, a, play, a bank like Chase or Wells Fargo or whatever, if they wanted to expand their mortgage division, they would have survived because they were the ones that had the products and my employees could have sold their products. Yeah. So it it could have been a good deal for somebody who just wanted to capitalize on what I had built, people that had, you know, learned the mortgage business to the degree they did and had a different wheelhouse. We were only a subprime lender
0: mm. in 08,
1: In 08, they killed subprime. Yeah. It was all gone. And now it's back a little bit, but not like it used to be. Mm-mm. Yeah, there's just so
0: much more regulation now. Yes. Um. So, what were some of the biggest successes for you? Um. In building well, your businesses. The the
1: biggest success I had was also the biggest failure. It was my mortgage company, and I've built mm-hmm. several. I've built several companies mm-hmm. uh, and sold them. Um. I built software companies. Uh. I built uh, construction companies. Mm-hmm. Um specialty trade within construction and that's how mm. that's how uh the book from blue to white came about mm-hmm. because basically what i saw was people that could do the work but they didn't know how to go get the contract and so the whole premise of the book from blue to white is how to be the working man but how to go get the contract to where you're the contractor and you're, you're hiring people mm-hmm. to do the work
0: how to be a business owner yeah how to, yeah, on take- how to work on the business instead of in it well, yeah, you know, taking
1: Joe's six pack and uh, showing him how to, how to run his own company,
0: Yeah.
1: you know, because there's so many people out there that are talented. They just don't know how to be an entrepreneur. So they know how to swing the hammer. They know how to, you know, make those beautiful walls behind you, but they don't know how to price it out and um, give the work to somebody else and make a profit margin. Right. So that's what the whole book's about.
0: That's Awesome. So I, so
1: I, I wrote, I wrote that book based on my contracting experience. And then, you know, I was along the way, I was just selling these businesses. And a a friend of mine told me, you know, Chad, you're so good at this. Why don't you start helping other people sell their business? And that's where a business was born. Mm -hmm. And the passion of that business was that I lost $9 million in 2008 because I could have sold my company for $9 million and it was roughly worth zero
0: after Mm, that's so hard. So yeah, so that was my question. My next question was, how did you get into brokering?
1: Well, when I was a mortgage broker, I learned how to broker. Mm -hmm. So brokering in itself is kind of a trade, you know? Yes. And so whether you're brokering equipment or you're brokering, well, brokering people, I mean, Mm -hmm. staffing companies are brokering people. Mm -hmm. I have a brokers mentality. And so I just used that mentality to start selling, well, I was selling my own businesses. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to do that by contacting qualified brokers to help me sell my business because I would never do it, try to do it myself. It just, mm-hmm. It'd be like defending yourself in court or something. You, know, so you don't <laughs> want to do that, right? Doing your own dental work, you know? It's yeah,
0: just- <laughs> that's not a good a plan. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I hire other people to do mm-hmm. it and I learned along the way. And then there was, you know, My friend was just like, man, you're so good at this. Why don't you just do it for other people? Mm -hmm. And so that, and I'm glad that he said that to me because I had never thought about that. And so it it opened up my mind and my heart to a different way of what I was doing. Because I was pretty much fed up with building and selling businesses. I've done enough of it.
0: That's a lot of work.
1: It is. And so I just help other people do it now. And... I would tell you my biggest success is really finding what I love, mm-hmm. and I. But my biggest monetary success was the mortgage company. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: It was worth nine million dollars, and I could probably have sold it in three or four months. That's uh, crazy. Yeah.
0: So, what are some of your? So, you guys. Um, so, you guys buy. So, you broker a deal between a seller and a buyer for businesses. So, that's what business brokers generally do, right? So, but you guys have to figure out what the value is. You have to figure out what top dollar is. You have to help find the proper buyer. So what are some of your, your favorite kinds of businesses um, um, that you like to get top dollar for? So what, what, when there's, what industries do you guys excel at?
1: You know, manufacturing and distributing mm-hmm.
0: uh, or
1: distribution is, they are some of the sexiest businesses out there mm-hmm. and they were more scarce um, five years ago. Mm-hmm. And they're more plentiful now uh, mm-hmm. because manufacturing has come back to the United States, mm-hmm. and there's incentive for you to be in manufacturing and distribution, and the margin and the um, the markets there mm-hmm. for manufacturing and distribution. But I like all businesses, you know. I mean, if, as long as they're cash flowing, it's all about cash flow, you know. Sellers discretionary earnings, you know, it's all about that. So it, I've sold the weirdest businesses out there. I mean things you would never think of. Tell me. Well, <clears throat> I sold a, I sold a company that made a valve for uh, making beer run faster through the processes of manufacturing beer. Mm-hmm. I sold a ball company that is able to press an image on a ball, which I never thought about that either. I thought, well, well, that's easy. Just print whatever on a ball, but you're printing something on a a circular surface. surface. (laughs) And so there was a patent involved and, uh, you know, just the weirdest things, Um, you know, embroidery, embroidery equipment Mm -hmm. and uh, manufacturers, uh, just just oddball stuff. But, you know, they, they all make money. And I tell people there's a million ways to make a million dollars. Right. And, um, it's true. I mean, I, so I like all businesses that are cash flowing and I've sold every goofy type of business there is. And mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. That's
0: awesome. So what are some of the top metrics, um, that make a business sellable? Well, the first thing that makes a business sellable is cash flow, because mm-hmm.
1: anytime or seller discretionary earnings, whatever you want to call it. Um, a lot of people get lost in EBITDA. Mm-hmm. EBITDA really isn't the number. just one it's just one number Mm -hmm. what is the business doing for the owner overall what kind of lifestyle is it going to provide the new owner and that question has to be dovetailed with another question which is what is debt service what's the debt service on this loan to the bank for the buyers to own the business Mm -hmm. and what are they going to be netting after they buy the business that really is the main thing about selling a business Mm -hmm. um you know, there was a gal I sold a bra uh, company. They were on QVC. It was mm-hmm. a bra that you just pulled over yourself, and it was an unconventional type bra. And I thought this is really goofy, mm-hmm. right? And it was like a sports bra, but it looked like pantyhose. And it was just pretty- <laughs> turns out she made a fortune, you know. And so, you know, how many people want to really go buy a bra company? Probably not a lot of people, but people are looking to buy the money that that bra Mm -hmm. company is making. Yeah. So they're always buying money. And so I'd say the number one factor in selling a business to making it sellable is earnings or seller's discretionary earnings.
0: The lifestyle of the owner, you said. That's what I wrote down because people are buying or creating businesses to create some kind of lifestyle. Usually, right? That's not generally like running ourselves ragged in a business is not generally what we're looking to do anymore. We're looking to create some kind of margin or gravy on our lives
1: yeah and I think um, I think to your point I think that started that mentality started coming in around 2004 maybe 2005 Mm -hmm. and I think it was the Timothy Ferris's of the world the four-hour work week and Mm -hmm. like that that started making people think about their lifestyle more
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know do you really want to work your ass off and not you know, barely make it and mm-hmm. be chained to a desk. And mm-hmm. I think people are realizing there's more opportunities out there. And so when people come to me to buy a business, a lot mm-hmm. of it is how much money am I making? That's the first thing. And then secondarily, what lifestyle is it going to give me?
0: That's awesome. I love that. Um, and I love that it's about that and not about like buying a job.
1: Yeah, I agree. There's, there's some of that, but mm-hmm. more than anything, it's that they're, they're tired of the job. And so they're looking for lifestyle. Most of my buyers, I have three thousand buyers at least right now, and most of them are coming out of a corporate job where they have six bosses and they hate their life. I mean, that's that's really where they're at.
0: So actually, a minute, we're going to go off. We're going to go off my uh, script over here because I want to talk about that. So I've seen those people buy businesses and then tank them. <laughs> have you? <laughs> because they don't know how to run businesses. So what how do you help buyers who have never run a business or have never owned a business like how do you help them pick the per that a good business for them
1: okay well, I would tell you um, the process itself mm-hmm. should eliminate the risk of that happening and The reason that it should eliminate the risk is because the bank is the one, I mean, the bank's taking the risk.
0: Mm. If the the
1: bank is going to take 80% of the loan, you have to look at it like the bank's the one that's going to be out if there's a failure. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as well as I do, that the bank is going to collateralize anything that the buyer has. They're going to hook their house, their rental houses. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to make them draw blood for a life insurance policy.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Depending on the loan. Yeah. Yep, I've yep. seen that. They're,
1: they're, I mean, it's a pretty rigorous process. And I would say the process itself eliminates failures. I, <clears throat> the analogy that's coming to mind right now is um, why are our Navy SEALs so effective it's because the process weeds out those who can't make it. Great. And so typically, same thing with me, if you can't make it through the process, if you can't conduct yourself in a way that the bank is confident, and if I sense that mm-hmm. you're not right for this business, I'm not going to let it happen. Yeah. So there's two types of brokers out there, um, a guy that needs a paycheck and a guy that doesn't.
0: Hmm.
1: I okay, I I need, I I mean, I want money.
0: Yeah, I'll take it. I'm not saying
1: (laughs) that, but I don't need the money enough to do something that's going to result in a failure. Mm -hmm. So a good broker is not just trying to get two people to make a paycheck. A good broker should almost have the eyes of the bank, Mm -hmm. should almost have the eyes of an accountant, have the Mm -hmm. eyes of an attorney, Mm -hmm. and have the eyes of, hey, you're my brother, or you're my sister. I Mm -hmm. don't want, I don't want you to get in this business and fail. Right. So a good broker that you, that you trust should have a heart knowing what's good for you and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And I um, am proud to say that I've never had a failure. I've never had one go bad.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And the ones I've seen go bad are those rollover, um, the rollover business acquisitions where they're taking their 401ks, you know, putting them into those C-Corps and then like the C-Corp owns the 401k or the 401k owns the C-Corp and it's like, it's their money mm-hmm. and they're just like, this is a great idea <laughs> and yeah. they don't know how to run a business. Right. <laughs> There's nobody yeah. like telling them that this is a good idea or a bad idea or helping them along.
1: Yeah, I got into a pretty stout uh, confrontation with a guy one time and it was a real ugly confrontation because whenever I do a business transaction, there is 90 days that the seller has to spend with the buyer Mm -hmm. to make sure that he's successful, that he understands, you know, Mm -hmm. what to do and how to do it. And because... Those that want to be self employed, they might have a little bit of pig headedness to them. They might be a little bull headed.
0: What?
1: So, what? <laughs> no. So, you know, they I don't
0: identify with that at all. <laughs>
1: right. So, me neither. So, uh, sometimes people go in there and they start trying to change things. And I got into a real stout conversation with this guy and I said, look, you are going to fail. And this is what I tell people. Go in there and do everything the way that the current owner is doing it, because mm-hmm. that's what works mm-hmm. after you're done with your transition and after you're, you know, give it some time, give it six or eight months. And if you want to start making small changes, mm-hmm. make small changes,
0: make some notes. Does yeah, happen now?
1: Yeah. But it's, it's, it's career suicide to buy a business and go in not knowing what you're doing, acting like you do and then changing everything that the owner was doing that made it successful. And me and this guy got into it. And so did him and the, the, the seller. Mm -hmm. And it was a bad deal. It was one of the worst deals that I've ever done. And he didn't fail, but he didn't succeed like he should have
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: he, he was doing the wrong thing. So I think, I think to your point, I think that business they don't really know how to run a business and one of the mm-hmm. worst things you can do is go in and, and not learn from the guy who's built the business. And as long as I put a good transition period in the contract and as long as my seller is a good guy or a good gal and mm-hmm. they got a good heart and they want to they want to teach that buyer how to be successful, mm-hmm. we shouldn't have a failure.
0: Yeah, it's about qualifying and matching probably yes. as yes. a broker yes. more than yes, anything. It is.
1: Yes. And I, and I've just turned people away before. I'm like, man, I don't like this deal. And I've, I've told the seller, I don't think this is our guy. Let's move mm-hmm. on. I do that all the time.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, having that person, that's just like, this is not a good fit for you, you know, or this is, you know, this person's not gonna, you know, understand how to run this business um, is really important. Yeah. So I think, is- I think, I think
1: I think trust is lacking too, not to interrupt you, but I think trust no, is lacking in all of us. I think if I'm going to go, um, if I'm going to go sell my business or I'm Mm -hmm. going to, let's just say I needed to defend myself criminally in court or I needed Mm -hmm. to get through an IRS audit or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think, I think as a whole, I think as a society, trust is lacking. Mm -hmm. And if you can be a trustworthy person in an industry such as mine, that is full of people who just need a paycheck, who will tell you what they want to tell you
0: Mm -hmm. only
1: to try to get a deal done to make some money. Um, if I can just lead with compassion and lead with a heart and lead mm-hmm. with integrity, yeah. I've separated myself from the rest of the pack. And I think that anybody that comes my way can trust what I'm telling them from the mm-hmm. numbers to the fit, to what the business is, to what it isn't. And I think that's what differentiates me from most, if not 98% of people in my industry. I'm not just here for a paycheck. I hope that I'm 70 years old. And I go to bed at night knowing that I never had a failure. That's what
0: awesome. I have. Yeah, I love it. So you're just like, this is the thing that like making, you know, making these, brokering these deals, making these good fits is, you know, what gets you out of bed every day. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so what are some of the biggest challenges in selling a business?
1: People not showing their earnings. Oh, yikes. People not showing their earnings. Um, that's the biggest thing. Second biggest thing is uh, people thinking that their business is worth far more than what it is. You get somebody who's making $200,000 and they want to sell over $1.5 million. <laughs> it's just not how it works, you know?
0: So, no. Um, so I, so we primarily work with veterinarians. Um, and so they, I work with the banks and they're talking about, you know, this, these low buys, um, and they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to reduce our salary. So our earnings looks better. I'm like, You're going to reduce how much money you're taking out of the business. Why would somebody buy something that needed that, that, that needed to happen?
1: Right. Yeah. And veterinarians, they're, they're a unique uh, fit because vets can come out of school and they can go buy a vet uh, practice for nothing down yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's programs out there the banks love them yeah banks do because you know they figure they've spent a fortune and student loans we'll go yeah. ahead and it, it's co- i think it's a compassionate loan basically it's like hey you well made it.
0: You know? yeah so with all the bankers that i know um that i've talked to that do this healthcare or space lending mm-hmm. um it's just they've been doing it for so long and they know their risk level Right. You know, they've like, it's super systematized at this point. Um, so they know their risk level. They know what they're looking for. They know how to qualify a buyer, um, and who will, who they'll lend to. Um, it's actually a huge amount, a lot of, a lot of their book. Um, and it's pretty low. I mean, like you're, you're right. It's zero down pretty low rate. Yeah. I have a yeah. client that just got like a Four percent rate, I think, on her business loan for a startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just it's low risk. Sure. For the bank because they've yeah. got it pretty systematized at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we're dealing with professionals like that, I think a lot of the time it's just depending.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's different loans for them for sure.
0: Yeah. So I um, already asked you that one. What trends are you seeing in the buying and selling of businesses um, as the baby boomers are leaving the workplace?
1: Well, it's ever changing. It's a great question. I would, uh, there's a lot of businesses that are being sold. Here's what I think is what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, I think that millennials and even generation X I don't know that they can fill the shoes of baby boomers. Mm. I think that a lot of it these baby that,
0: it goes back to that lifestyle stuff. They don't want yeah. those those businesses where people are working eight hours a week. There you go.
1: And the grit and the fight that mm-hmm. it took to build these businesses. Some of Generation X has it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the millennials really don't. Mm-hmm. And the millennials are even more so into lifestyle and hard work is kind of a, that's a, kind of like a four letter word.
0: Well, I think it looks different for them. You're right. It doesn't does look like eighty hours a week. It might look like, you know, emails at 6am and then heading to the gym. Like it's just, it looks different. Yeah, it does. And, and, and nothing's
1: bad. Nothing's whatever, but I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, millennials, Hey, they have their value in this market too. And they they're, they're going to have to somehow I
0: have the ideas
1: yeah. And they're going to, they're, they're, they're tech babies and mm-hmm. you know, it's going to, they've got their own trajectory and they're, and they're uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a different trajectory than the baby boomers, but you know, these baby boomers are, they're hardworking businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's changed a little bit with hard work nowadays. I just I don't think hard works is plentiful. Yeah. Uh, it's not as easy to find. Yeah. So I think the baby boomers are exiting finding the right buyers to do the work and want to do it. It's a challenge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and a lot of the people that are trying to sell their business, the baby boomers, they are at a point where they're especially men, mm-hmm. maybe not so much women, but they're mm-hmm. at an age where they want to sell. They think they want to sell, but they don't want to be obsolete. They, they don't want to be rendered useless. They mm-hmm. want to have something to do. Mm-hmm. And so they're stuck in purgatory emotionally. What do I do here? Do I sell? Do I
0: not? But I don't want to be home because I haven't been there in 20 yep. years. So
1: <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Right. Right. <laughs> and uh, I sold, this is no kidding. I sold a business to a guy uh, or I sold his business and he mm-hmm. was 72.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And after he sold his business, he told me, well, I just, I just re-upped my lease. And I said, why did you re up your lease? He said, mm-hmm. I can't go home. <laughs> he didn't want to be home with his wife. Mm-hmm. So he opened he opened up a, a new office, <laughs> put a couch in there and a recliner and a TV. And That's so funny. Just told his wife, Hey, I'm going to work. That's and
0: so funny.
1: So I think a man has to have somewhere to go is the point. So baby well, boomers yeah. are Yeah, baby boomers are stuck in that. They don't well, they want to sell, but they don't really want to. Wow. You and we're living longer. Yeah, you can't play golf every day and you can't sit around. You know, I don't know. I won't police golf. But.
0: Um, yeah. And I, and I, and I think that's part of it too, is, you know, seventy's not old anymore. Yeah. You know, true. So they're like, oh, yeah, by 75, but then they're like, what do I do with myself? Exactly. Okay. And if you, and if you've worked and
1: everything's a habit, works a habit. And if you work mm-hmm. that long mm-hmm. and now you suddenly are not supposed to be working, what mm-hmm. do you do? Yeah. I'm, I'm 41 and I just love to work. I mean, if they took work too. away from me, I'd be miserable. I love to work too. <laughs> so, so this, this whole thing yeah. and I can tell, and I can tell you love to work. I do. But you know, this, this, this whole thing about retirement, I, I think it's, I think it's BS.
0: Yeah. It's just, we're not cogs in the wheel anymore where, you know, we, we, you know, our brains stop working. Yeah. You know, like we just become yeah. obsolete.
1: So I have, so I have no retirement plan. Um, well, my retirement business right now. <laughs> my 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 retirement plan is to work until I can no longer work. Yeah, that's it. And everybody's trying to sell me retirement plans. Hey, what are you gonna do with your money? What are you gonna do? I'm just gonna work.
0: <laughs> just gonna work. Keep working. It's so funny. Actually, I was interviewing for a job at one point, and they're like, "If you won the lottery, would you still work?" And I was like, "Well, not initially." <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. I'd take, I I'd, like, I'd take six months off.
0: Yeah, no, I'd go travel. And they were yeah. like, "That's not the right answer." And I was like. I'm supposed to want to come to this place every day if I had won the lottery. (laughs) No, I wouldn't be working for you probably, no.
1: Right, yeah. If you're asking me that question, no, I would not work for you. No,
0: probably Uh, not. (laughs) Sorry to bust your bubble. I know. And then the recruiter was like, let's talk about how you can answer those questions. But I'm like, you want me to lie to people? Eh, Yeah, We're good. Right. So um, how does social capital play into how a business um, is valued? Social capital in what capacity? Like marketing, um, online presence.
1: Well, the, the main thing to watch out for regarding that is your online reputation. Reputation mm-hmm. management is everything. Um, I went to sell a guy's business not too long ago, and I, I didn't check that at that point. I didn't check his online reputation. Mm-hmm. He was making good money. It wasn't a lot of money, but, you know, a guy could walk in. I think he was making like $180,000, $180,000 a year. Somebody could walk in and mm-hmm. after three or four months be self-sufficient to make one hundred eighty a year. So I thought I'd bring him on as a client, and everything looked great. And then I went to go dig at his, in his reputation, and it was god-awful. Yeah. And I said, why aren't you paying attention to that? And he said, well, that's just the internet. I'm like, uh, excuse me? You mean that you mean the internet's the thing that everybody's going to interview you on before ever deciding to make a call to you and you don't care about it. And that's generationally one of those things too. He was, I guess, probably, probably 67. Mm -hmm. And so he just thought the internet was just some thing we were playing around on. (laughs) Right. Right. And so reputation management, Um, make sure that you have the good reviews up there because People aren't going to give a good review just because they want to. They're going to give a good review because you gave them good service. You did a good mm-hmm. job by them. And they believe that they had value. Mm-hmm. And and they're going to do it because you asked them to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't ask them, it isn't going to happen. Whereas if they're pissed off because you didn't do them right, mm-hmm. they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. They're going to go online and you're going to get trashed. <laughs> so you have to you have to you have to watch for that yeah as, as far as and properly manage those too yeah for sure
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i i would say when it comes to selling a business per your question if you have a big following and you mm-hmm. have a lot of activity and you can you can show that you have um you know that you're generating mm-hmm. revenue from your social platform
0: mm-hmm.
1: we could we could maybe ask for more value, but the problem is the bank doesn't see the value that way.
0: Yeah, they don't care. About that they don't
1: generally. care. So, to the owner, to the buyer, it's pretty nice if you've mastered the art of social media mm-hmm. and you've got Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and everything working in your favor, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily add a lot of value. Mm-hmm. Unless, of course, it's just a ridiculous following that you have. I mean, there's some people out there, they're following only is worth millions of dollars. You know, I mean, look at these clowns that, that, that do the most idiotic stuff online, like Dan Bilzerian. I mean, the guy, the guy could probably sell his online presence for $10 million or $20 million or maybe more. Who knows?
0: But it's just him though. That's when it comes down to like you're an influencer. Can you really sell your personal influence? Well, I think that there's a lot of value there. If Mm -hmm. somebody could get in there and
1: and start monetizing his presence through Mm -hmm. ads and things like that. So there's value there. But what I'm saying is as a general rule to sell your business, that's not going to add any value to the business. It's always, going to come down to sell discretionary earnings, what the bank's willing to lend on and what the payment's going to be for the buyer or the debt service. Okay.
0: That makes sense. So what are some key considerations in finding financing for a business purchase?
1: That's a wonderful question, and you know the, the answer is that a good broker should have a lot of different banks to shop loans with. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that every bank has a different appetite. So one bank might have a big appetite for um, manufacturing. Another mm-hmm. business, another bank might have a big appetite for a lot of businesses, but they're really only really really, really going to lend on it if it's got. Uh, real estate attached to it. Other banks uh, sell their paper. Some banks keep their paper. So it all comes down to the bank that you're working with. And a good broker will make or break the deal from happening based on the quality and the quantity of banking relationships that you have. And sourcing the banking is really a component of the broker's job. Mm-hmm. Because right now I know that if manufacturing or distri- distribution comes in without real estate, I know where to take it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know where to take it. If it has real estate, I know what they're going to want. I know the underwriting processes. I know the culture in the bank, how, how much they're going to send us. you know, what kind of gauntlets they're going to send us through.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so a good broker should know that in order to obtain financing without as much pain that it can sometimes bring. Because it's painful to take a loan to a bank that doesn't Mm -hmm. really want it and you're
0: trying to put a square peg in a round
1: hole. Yeah.
0: You know? So I'm adding questions here as I go. Um, What do you do? How do you work with SBA lending? Do you guys do a lot of that or
1: no? Yeah, we do. Most of the deals are driven by SBA. And the Mm. reason is, the reason is at least up to 5 million. The reason is because SBA is gonna give the bank a surety on that loan
0: mm, in other words some of those gauntlets
1: yeah the SBA backed guarantee especially at a SBA 7a preferred lender mm-hmm. um, the the SBA 7a preferred lender is going to be required to go through all the steps that the SBA requires in order to be granted that guarantee mm-hmm. so the bank is in a better position from a liability standpoint, whenever they lend on a business that's past all the hurdles of the SBA underwriting. okay. And so most people, uh, get an SBA loan, uh, because the banks are really only willing to lend SBA because it gives them more assurity. Secondly, it only, you really Well, really it only requires 5% to buy a business, but there's Mm -hmm. some goofy terms involved in that. So 10% down is what we need to get an SBA loan done at most of our banks. And so it it allows a buyer to come in for 10%, which think about the numbers real quick. Let's just say you wanna buy a $2 million business. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's only gonna require you $200,000 to buy that business. So let's just say you've been working in corporate America you've saved up a quarter million dollars, you can go and be self-employed. Or if you are selling your business, you know, right now it's a smaller business, you've sold it and you've made 600 grand. Mm -hmm. You can go buy a $2 million business, it's only going to cost you 200 grand. And that $2 million business, if we're going to use the multiplier of three, Mm -hmm. that $2 million business should be paying a little over $600,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Not counting your debt service.
0: So, okay. So I have more questions for you now. Um, (laughs) What are some of the industries that you're seeing? Like there's just no sellable businesses. Like the businesses are dying. There's nothing that can be sold. And then, and then give uh, me the flip of that. What are some of your most upcoming industries?
1: I would say the businesses that are losing their luster Mm -hmm. are hard labor. The labor force, again, back to the millennial thing. Mm-hmm. How many, how many people out there are really willing to work that hard? I think if you were to ask somebody who is in the hard work world, mm-hmm. if it's if it's digging ditches, if it's pouring concrete, if it's mm-hmm. laying brick, if it's hanging tile, whatever, if it's mowing grass, whatever. Mm-hmm. They would tell you it's hard to find somebody to wake up at 6 a.m. every day and do that. I don't want to do that. Right. (laughs) It's also hard to find those same guys that don't have bad habits. Mm. So a lot of those guys that are going and doing those hard labor jobs, they're... They're going home and they're drinking or doing drugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, their dog ate their homework and their, you know, uh, their baby mama couldn't get them to work and their mm-hmm. cell phone, their cell phone wasn't charged and their alarm clock didn't work. Mm-hmm. I think those businesses that are blue collar, hard working businesses that 50 years ago, you'd have 30 people standing in line to go do that labor job. You're having mm-hmm.
0: two people standing
1: in line. They probably have bad habits.
0: That's hard and it's hard work for not a lot of money a lot of the time too. Yeah. I think that's the hard part even. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to pay people a living wage in those businesses. It is because even if you paid them $20 an hour, the
1: the work's worth $50 an hour. And so yeah. you're just, you're just so those businesses are going away. Uh, the Mexican community uh, are taking over a lot of those jobs, Good. and um, boy, they sure do have a, a spot in this workforce. They do an amazing
0: job. They, we they do. Our, they,
1: yeah.
0: We just had our fence done this last summer. Oh my gosh. They work. It's don't they? so pretty too. Like yeah. they slammed out the fence in 24 hours, and it's like perfect. Like. Yeah. The lines and like I'm a total perfectionist. Hi, I'm an accountant. We like things in columns. I have an account. Like, <laughs> it's like the most perfect. Like the line of the fence is like totally yeah. perfect. It looks so much better than it. They
1: ever. know what they're doing for they sure.
0: Do. They do an amazing job. They're craftspeople too.
1: Yeah, they are. And so on the other side, you said do the flip side. I think the most attractive businesses
0: mm-hmm.
1: are those that are laptop and cell phone oriented, the digital nomads. Yeah. And the problem with those though, is they're hard to bank. Virtual businesses.
0: Yeah. They're
1: hard to bank.
0: Mm. Cause it's hard to quantify.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've got, you've got very minimal assets. You've got a website, you've got, um, you've got income by way of leads coming in some, some, somehow, some way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're doing consulting. You've basically got a laptop, a mouse and a cell phone. So how do you go to a bank and say, lend me $2 million. They're going to say, well, what are the assets? And you'll mm-hmm. say, don't have any. I don't have any. And, and that's hard to get underwritten. Mm-hmm. So, but they are desirable businesses. The The thing is that you, in order to buy one of these businesses, these digital nomad businesses, you have to have a lot of money down. Mm. Um, I'm going to say 40% down. Mm. And the reason is because a bank will do let's just say a bank will do 70% loan to
0: value.
1: Mm -hmm. So let's just say you wanted to buy a $2 million digital nomad nomad business. You've got a, you've got a thousand dollar laptop and a cell phone. The bank's going to say, well, I mean, most banks are going to say, no, we don't want to do it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But if they do do it, they're going to say, we'll do 70%. We'll loan 70% on this deal. So you have to have 30%. And then they're going to say, Because it's a digital nomad business and you have to have the expertise within this particular field,
0: Mm.
1: we want to make sure that the seller does a 10% seller carry. So he's going to stick around to make sure you're successful. So now essentially the bank's doing a 60% loan on the deal. The seller's doing a 10% loan and the Mm. buyer has to come in with 30
0: so let's talk about my industry because I just think it's interesting. So we're, you know, we're watching the accounting industry move from, you know, high, you know, low dollar tax returns, you know, quantity um, to, to, to create revenues uh, to like more consulting based. Um, so they're not going to have CPA firms with, you know, a thousand clients bringing in, you know, hundred bucks a year right? To get to that million or whatever the math is. I don't do math. I do accounting. Um,
1: (laughs) There's a distinct difference.
0: There's a distinct difference. Um, And you know, those like tax shops have assets. They have computers, they have, you know, physical locations, Um, but we're watching the industry shift and change very quickly um, as our product becomes commoditized, you know, like pretty much people like we can outsource tax returns, Onshore, offshore, um, you know, they're creating software right now that basically does attack returns for us. Mm-hmm. Like you just import everything right. <laughs> quickly and then check it and you're like, sweet. Yeah. So talk about like those businesses and that, like how they're evolving, you
1: know, from I th- product I think,
0: to service.
1: I think really what you're saying is that, that technology can almost eliminate any field mm-hmm. where a personal touch was once needed.
0: Yeah, well, we do a lot of personal things. It's just not handing over tax returns.
1: Right, right. And so it's consulting based rather than, you know, because now technology wise, we can probably, like you said, you know, hit it, click a button and have everything populate and mm-hmm. it pretty much get you there. But, but you know, as well as I do, understanding tax code and how it's ever changing. Oh, right. I mean, your t- accountants are always gonna be in high demand, but
0: how they function is changing. That's right. And so, you know, those people that are just the data entry tax people, And I keep telling them adopt or die because if you're not doing planning, if you're not learning new code, if you're not helping people optimize, you're going to be obsolete soon.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a matter of raising the game, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's raising the bar, you know, rather than, Hey, bring your tax returns in here and let me do them and sign here and send these off. It's, it's teaching people how to navigate their, their financial lives surrounding their business, surrounding Mm -hmm. their taxation, Mm -hmm. uh, how to shelter themselves. You know, Mm -hmm. it's more preparation planning and consulting now, I think is where you're headed. I think that's, that's, I think that's where a lot of, that's where a lot of things are headed. You know, I mean, you can, you can almost, I mean, you, you can learn how to do brain surgery on Google anymore, right? So how, yes. do, how do you inject yourself to be the expert and mm. let them know how to make the proper steps? I think that's mm. where it's headed. Yeah. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it does. It just, it's, it's interesting to me because I know most like CPA firms were looking at like 0.8 to 1.2 multiples for their businesses and that's tiny. Uh, it is. It always has been.
1: It is. Um, you can get away with more as long as you have the right buyer, uh, mm-hmm. sold an accounting firm for, uh, 2.7, maybe 2.8 X, mm-hmm. uh, oh, wow. Um, as long as you have the right buyer. Uh, also the accountant has built a relationship with them. And so the main thing is the transition. Yeah. Uh, what's the, what's the accountant going to do? And in order to get that done, we had the accountant stick around from the time of close all the way through a full tax season.
0: Mm.
1: And um, he was compensated very minimally, but he didn't mind. So it worked. It worked out.
0: Yeah. I think that's part of the, like, anytime I see somebody being like, I'm going to buy a tax thing. I'm like, why? They're all going to leave and they're all undercharged and you're going to have a massive mess on your hands.
1: There is some acquisition risk there with the transition, because Mm -hmm. if I really like you as my accountant and you're who I like, maybe I don't want you to give it to this other person that I don't like. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I could, you know, maybe that accountant would buy that business and then lose 30 or 40% of his clientele Mm -hmm. inside the first year.
0: Yeah.
1: And so there's some, there's some risk there. Yeah. But But that's just because it's such a personal thing, isn't it? I mean, it's very personal, opening up your tax returns and, and having somebody do surgery on them like you do.
0: Yeah, we do surgery over here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, you do all the math and all the numbers and you make it work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's an intimate thing. you know if I sent you my tax returns, I would there's, a, there's an element of trust there.
0: Yeah, that's. And, very
1: and, true. you know and and most people say I'm thinking about selling my business, I'm going to call my accountant. I mean that's how trusted you are. Yeah. As long as you're doing your job, right.
0: Yeah. I hope they call us first. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I actually had a conversation with a client the other day. I was like, you have to call us first. Stop not calling me.
1: <laughs> stop, stop not calling me. <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> We're going to continue. You're going to call me first. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Okay. All right, Chad. Um, so before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you?
1: I'll uh, just go to petersonacquisitions.com mm-hmm. www.petersonacquisitions.com mm-hmm. and your listeners, as long as they go to the website, they can get a, a free download of the book. Oh, cool. um, if they go to my website, as long as they let me know, it was your podcast. Mm-hmm. I will, I will send them a free copy of the book and it's swinging doors, a guide to selling your business and really what it is. And a lot of people don't read books anymore. I'm finding. No I
0: was trying I've to heard. find you. I'm linkist. <laughs> Say that again. I was trying to find your books on Blinkist.
1: Blinkist? I don't even know what that is.
0: So Blinkist is like, it does like snippets. It's like cliff notes, audio cliff notes. Oh. Books. oh. So it gives you like, yeah, so it's just like. Click gotcha. On. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah.
1: I probably need to put my book on audio, but, but they can get a free download of the book. And really what it is, it's just a guide to selling your business. And it talks about anything and everything. It's about 89 pages of real meat and potato stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I'll give them a free book and then I'm real responsive. And the reason is because I love working and I work seven days a week because I want to. Mm hmm. And so if uh, anybody from your podcast uh, reaches out to me at petersonacquisitions.com, I will get back to them, just have them fill out a form mm-hmm. and uh, I'll get back to them and, and answer okay. any questions awesome. and they can get a free book.
0: Sweet. So we'll draw and we'll drop the links in the description boxes Okay. on all the things. Okay. So uh, last question for you. What is the one piece of advice you would give someone who wants to grow a sellable business?
1: Okay. The one piece of advice is that if you want to grow and sell a business, you have to be married to it. You have to be so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And passion is overused these, these days. The word passion is so overused because what does it mean? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I love doing what I'm doing, but mm-hmm. I'm sure if I could trade places with Tom Cruise, I would do it, right? <laughs> so so your, pay, your passion, you know, you don't, you don't have to necessarily be so passionate about the craft, mm-hmm. but you must be passionate about building that thing. To get it sold. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you won't be able to. Because what happens is the passion starts to wane, and I'll see it on the profit and loss statement.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'll absolutely see it. It's no doubt. They'll they'll call me, let's say they called me in 2016, and they're like, Well, we're thinking about selling. We don't know. Maybe, maybe. And I say, Sell now, because that tells me that your passion's waning. And then they'll call me back, and they'll say, We want to sell right now, right now, right now. And I say, Why? Well, because we're failing. (laughs) okay who wants to buy your business when it's failing you should have called me when your passion was high Mm because that's when your profits were high Mm -hmm. so my one piece of advice just to condense that be passionate about it Mm -hmm. and be married to your business first if you got a wife or a husband you got a wife or a husband that they've got to be second or third (laughs) your business has to be first Mm -hmm. you have to be married to it first be passionate about it and let's just say you drop from a 10 to a to a 9 in passion mm-hmm. it's time
0: yeah sell it then it's
1: time to sell it
0: i love it perfect well thank you so much thank you thank you so much for listening or watching be sure to subscribe on youtube itunes or wherever you prefer to listen if you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review until next week be abundant